respond to reports of a missing person. The mother is on scene and requesting assistance. Unit 527 responding 1039. This is Over the Horizon and Far Away. Hello, hello. We are so excited you guys found us for another week. Welcome back to Over the Horizon and Far Away, a true crime podcast that covers cases of the missing and murdered that did not get the media attention they deserved. Hello, everybody. This week, we have a special bonus episode for you guys. This is actually going to be a part two to the episode that we did on Felicia Kiaza. This is Danielle, and today I will be talking with a good friend of mine, and this is Michelle. So this is actually Felicia's mom, and I thought it would be a good idea to hear more about who Felicia is and how she came to be a missing person. It is actually kind of funny how this episode came to be. So Julia and I are just constantly brainstorming ideas for bonus episodes before the podcast officially launches. You know, we want to build that following and help listeners get to know us. So after I did the bonus on Felicia and the work we were doing with her case, I had the thought that I should approach Michelle about interviewing her for the podcast, but just hadn't gotten around to it yet. And then last week, um, she was actually like, hey, like, I think I'd like to go on the podcast and talk about Felicia's case and the struggle of addiction and those sorts of things. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. Um, I actually had planned to ask you. So now here we are. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you for chatting with me today. Thank you, Danielle. Um, So I just want to kind of start out by getting to know Felicia a little bit better. So kind of just tell us a little bit about her. Start from the beginning, from when she was just a wee little baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, if we go back that far, I was a teenage mom. And I think, um, I, and I, I don't want to toot my own for I, I guess I was a success story. I had well-off parents that could help me. So that teenage pregnancy and teenage mom didn't define me as a person. We still were able to um, give Felicia a very well-rounded life with um, all of her uh, needs being met and and so on and so forth, you know, both financially and uh, emotionally. So, so we lived with my parents and she had a great support system. She was actually a really easy, good kid for being born to a teenage mom. I didn't have a lot of problems with her. She was a good kid. She was always kind of a social butterfly, which uh, grew into her teen years when she became a teen in high school. Again, didn't have a lot of problems with her. A little boy craziness, not a lot, uh, no drugs that we were aware of anyways. And she, she didn't graduate with her class, but she did graduate. She took some summer schools and she did get that high school diploma. And part of that was just being a social butterfly. Um, let's see here. Sports, not really into sports, extracurricular, not really, um, overall a, a good kid. And as she grew into adulthood, I was really impressed. She did not have babies young like I did, which sometimes I think that's a pattern that people can't break. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You, you have a mom yeah. that's a teen mom. Then you have that, that baby becomes a teen mom and hmm, excuse me. It's a cycle that, that just never stops. And she really wasn't like that. She was with her daughter's dad for several years. They had a baby, they were doing good. Uh, and then a poop hit the fan. Like, I, I don't even know 
where to begin and where she went downhill. She was doing really good. When I say Felicia was a good mom, she makes other parents look like crap. Handmade cakes, handmade birthday invitations, very attentive. Pinterest mom. What's that? A Pinterest Pinterest mom. Yes, yes. Um, Back then Pinterest didn't exist. So it was the, you know, she was like the Brady Bunch mom. She was very attentive to Mela's needs and and very there for this kiddo. And it was impressive. Um, I can't grow grass in my backyard and she'd have daisies and Dixie cups in the window because her and Mela just did it just on a whim. That's what they wanted to do. So she was, I, I was in awe of her, if I had to be honest. I was very much in awe of how she was as a parent. I am a realist and a no-nonsense nonsense person, which sometimes crum, comes across as, uh sort I'm looking for, unemotional or not, not as, I'm not somebody that needs to say I love you all the time or touch you all the time or hug you all the time or I show my, my love in a different manner. Yeah, we're definitely, I'm the same way. So we're, we definitely have like this emotional hardness. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I don't know where it yeah. comes from. Um, mine's childhood trauma I know <laughs> right well yes and my, I mean mine really wasn't I just I yeah. don't and Felicia didn't have that so I was so impressed with that um as she grew up though uh she was about 28 and she met a guy that we knew was a drug user he had been friends of her brothers for years and I don't know if hate is the word I want to use, but as an educated person with a a career and a business that I built from the ground up, I look at this man who is in and out of prison and institutionalized and a drug user to the core. And it it just turns my stomach. I mean, I don't, excuse me. I try not to be judgmental, but the bottom line is fix yourself. How many, how many chances do you need? We strongly disliked him. Yes. I strongly disliked him. And from there, I, I even sat down with this guy and I said, listen, I don't care who you date. I don't care how many kids you have. I don't care about your past. Stay away from my child. Date any other human being other than her. I, I don't care. And he looked me right in the face and ignored everything I said. And they started dating. It was approximately eight months before our local Department of Family Service or Child Protective Service, um, wherever you're at listening to this, it's called different things in different areas, excuse me, contacted me and asked me about the drug use. And I was very honest um, because I guess back up a little bit. As she dated this guy, we we would see stuff, rapid weight loss. Uh, She wouldn't look me in the face. She would barely be over here. Mela was regressing, was tired all the time. Um, Outward signs that as a what I do for a living as a daycare provider so I'm trained to look for this stuff but also just as a mom you start seeing it so the school calls me and DFS calls me and I was pretty forthcoming and I was very honest at that point I said as a mom I can't make the phone call I cannot call DFS and report my child not because I don't want to not because I don't love my grandchild not because I think what she I I don't not believing it I do but I could not do it because I would come across as this bitter angry mom that hates the boyfriend and that's not what this was about my my daughter made every conscious choice on her own she I'm one of those people and I'm going to get you know judged for this one but I don't consider drug abuse a disease I think it's a choice right up until your body becomes addicted to it and then it is an addiction And my daughter made the choice. 
And so I didn't want anybody to downplay what I would be reporting. I didn't want to come across like this bitter, angry mom. I wanted them to understand that this was very serious and my daughter was using drugs and it had nothing to do with the man she was with. It had to do with her choices. Uh, and I think the school and DFS was in agreement with me that I shouldn't be the one to do it. And the school backed me and they called, I think it was twice. I mean, some of that stuff, as you know, Danielle's really private. Like they don't, Yeah. Yep. I don't, I don't get a list of how many times DFS was phoned. I think it was twice. And so at that point, uh, she kept saying, I'm not using, I'm not using, I'm not using. I said, yes, she is. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Drug test came back. They avoided her and this boyfriend avoided CPS for about a week. And then they went down. Yep. They always do. Yep. Always always do. Try to flush down their system. Somehow she was negative for methamphetamines and he was positive. So part of that is going to be like how they were tested um, so if I, gosh, it's been a hot minute since I've had to deal with drug testing. Um, but if I remember correctly, I want to say meth stays in your system, I believe max a week, if I'm recalling correctly. So if she was able to dodge for a week, then that makes sense that she was, you know, just had the timing just right to the right. test negative for sure. Right. And I'm sure there's products or things or, you know, I'm sure there's even natural oh, stuff yeah. that dilutes that in you. I, I don't know. Not a, not yeah. the drug expert, right? Um, I've heard all sorts of things. right, I right. One person say that you know their spouse that they believe was using was like literally just eating baking soda, and somehow that was like it's just crazy. People come up with the craziest things. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because as you fast forward, I had this DFS worker dragging my daughter across my. I look up on our cameras and I see this DFS worker dragging my adult child across my front lawn, like her butt's on fire. And I'm like, okay, what's <laughs> going on now? And I, you know, they, they tell me you need to take Mela for the night so that the boyfriend can get out. And I said, well, I'll do you one better. I'll take her for the weekend, get everything out. I don't want to hear this. And from there, the funny excuses that you say, so my daughter, when she finally did test positive, because I think these parents live in the delusion that they're going to test me once and I'm clean. So they're going to leave me alone. Yep, That's not how this absolutely. works. So, she um, finally tested hot and, and the stuff she was telling the caseworker, yeah, I hot for it because I had sex with him and he's still using. Uh, at one point, the DFS, or she looked at the DFS worker and says, I don't know. I don't know why it's in my system. The only thing I've done in the last two days is walk down to the gas station and eat a frozen burrito. So like this, the excuses were, I mean, I think the sex thing was probably the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Um, that's actually a really common one, in fact. Is it really? It is, yeah. And we like we know that's not accurate. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they think that's like the end all be all. But it, well, yeah. So we went through the ringer. And um, from there, I, I will tell you, it was four years of absolute hell. It took the department four years to terminate her parental rights. And this is where I kind of want to start talking about what it's like to be a mom of an addict. Um, I will be very clear that it is like losing a loved one or it's a stage of grief, five stages, they say, seven for others. And I went through every single one of them. Um, I don't think my denial was that I never was in denial. I knew what she was doing, but the shock was, um, what are you doing? Like, You've been a great mom. You've been a, 
you know, you've been a little social butterfly. Was she very ambitious? No, I knew she was never going to be the next president. But when she did work, she would thrive at the position she's in. I remember she worked at Target and she would come home and say, Mom, I, I got the most red cards out today. And I was like, yeah, good job. You know, she would really thrive to be good at what she did. And I just, I was looking at her like, I cannot believe you've done this to me. I can't believe that you've done this to your daughter. I can't believe you've done this to your siblings. So my denial wasn't really there. I, I knew she was, but it was the, uh, definitely the shock of what do you think you're doing? Uh, then we go into the pain, you know, pain and guilt. Like, I don't think I had a lot of guilt because she was not raised this way. I was not an addict. Um, my choices and ex-husbands were not great, but I mean, Danielle, we're sitting in my kitchen right now. You guys, she has like 6 million ex-husbands. Oh, stop it. I have <laughs> I one. Know. No, one. I'm just kidding. I always get all my about it though. <laughs> I, I have one. Um, I have a couple ex-boyfriends that are twins, but yeah. so um, you're sitting in my kitchen. Like if you were to walk in my house, even when I was with my ex-husband, you would not have known that he was a substance abuser, that there was problems going on there. And therefore my kids were never, into, and I don't. I guess maybe denial on my part for him. I wanted to believe that when he was being a family man, that it wasn't in my house. But the reality is that's probably not the case. So, you know, I went through kind of the pain, not so much the guilt. I, I was hurt and I was upset and I had to look at this six-year-old beautiful grandchild of mine and make excuses for her mom. Yeah. And they're so young, like they don't even have the ability at that point to even understand what's going on. Like their world is just suddenly upside down. Yes. Well, and so. I think when the abuse, because she did go from such an attentive mom to Mela would tell DFS stuff like every time we get home, my mom and the boyfriend would make me go to my room so they could smoke that smelly stuff, mm. which I'm assuming is marijuana. I would hope is marijuana, but right. Um, and there was yeah. other things like, um, if I'm not at my grandma's house, I don't eat. Well, as you know, methamphetamine is an appetite suppressant. So yep. when you have meth heads who maybe are not eating, they may not look at the clock and realize, hey, this this kid needs to eat. Not only that, but um, one of my foster kiddos actually, and I don't know if this is like something that potentially happened or not. Um, in this scenario, but I do know that one of my foster kiddos comes from a home where parents are active meth users and her mom always sold the food stamps for more for drugs. drugs. Right. And so they just could never even get food. Food, right. Yeah. Right. Which is so sad. I hate that. I have, that's like one of my irrational fears is like, I don't want kids to ever starve. So right, everybody's right. eating. I don't care whose child you are. We're all eating. Eating, yes. <laughs> I mean, you've seen my grocery bill. Like we just, we have yeah. food. I, you know, it's kind of funny because the daycare world, they always say, well, where would you go in the case of emergency? And I'm looking and I'm like, everybody would come here. Are you kidding me? I'm the only one with stock food. <laughs> so, um, Daniel, could you tell that gal to just leave it? Um, sorry about that. We've got somebody at the door. All right. So anyways, so, you know, the excuses and the, the stuff we went through uh, and what Mela went through was horrendous. And, like, you know, I started to say that you have this kid that had this attentive mom that was doing arts and crafts and cakes and invitations and Halloween parties and costumes. And I mean, like that was a thing they were do matching. If one was Scooby, the other one was scrappy. If one was Robin Hood, I mean, they were all matching. And so she goes from that kind of a lifestyle at six years old to a man being in her house that is causing her mom to act differently in every aspect so, you know, that's where this really kind of went downhill. And I don't know 
with Felicia, I tried for four years. We let her come back home twice to try to get sober. We worked with the department to try to get her sober. She would never go to inpatient treatment. I'm not really sure why. She did do a six-week outpatient and two months, Danielle, two, maybe three, that she could stay away from the stuff. And the guy, the boyfriend was as big of a drug as the drug. The codependent, the codependent. often comes along with addiction. Yeah. Yes. I feel like I've seen that probably in every single addiction case that I've had some sort of part in. For sure, is that nine out of ten times if there's a codependency issue, it they cannot break the cycle of addiction. Like they just can't. Right. And you and I can hypothesize under the sun, you know, till yeah. the cows come home of what gave her these kind of codependencies. And it's neither here nor there. At some point you become a free thinking adult. And either you want to stop being this way and you're self-aware and you make a conscious choice, or you just keep doing it. And I can't make that choice for her. She has to do that for herself. So we went through four years of absolute hell. Um, there were times, was I ever depressed? Because that's one of these stages of grief. When do you have time when a kid is involved? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I had to be Mela's mom. I no longer got to be her grandmother. I had to be the one that made sure she got up and took a bath and got her hair done and went to school and her clothes matched. And, you know, I'm the one that had to play them. I couldn't be the grandma anymore that laced them up with brownies and cupcakes and sent them home. Like I had to be the parent. And I was kind of at a point where my oldest was in high school. So I was d done parenting. I just, I, my kids were gone. I was getting older. I was done parenting. And here I am with this six-year-old. So depression for myself, no depression for her, yes. Um, for my family in general, yes, but I'm the fixer. Like we talked about that emotional detach. I don't know if yeah. detachment's the right word, but when you're emotionally hard like you and I yeah. are, yep. the world just does not stop spinning. We just yeah. go. We were just talking about this actually earlier today because she had to give me a ride to go pick up my car from the shop and... Um, I was just telling her about how a family member of mine is going through something and like, I don't have like the empathy about it. Cause in my mind, I'm like, okay, yeah, that really sucks. But like now you have your kids, like now we just have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So we definitely think very differently. I think than most people for sure. For sure. And, and, you know, then we, you know, we move forward, we move past that. Cause now it's been what my granddaughter is now 13 years old and this happened when she was six. So we've gone through every emotion and every stage of, of grief that we can. And we've gotten to the point where her mom used to at least check in with us every two, three months. I knew she was in billings. Um, I knew she was doing some illegal shady stuff. There was people that would call us and say, Hey, are you the mom or the sister of Felicia? And while well, she borrowed, borrowed our car and hasn't brought it back. And it's been like three weeks. Oh and then the cops found the car abandoned in an alley with a used can of Narcan. In it. So for those that don't know, Narcan is an over-the-counter, uh, it counteracts heroin overdose. So there was a used can of Narcan in this vehicle. So we knew, we knew she had kind of graduated up and we knew she was doing some pretty shady shit, but we just, we didn't know how far it went. And so we, I'm to the point now where my grieving is over and I'm just at total acceptance. I'm raising her daughter as our, our own. My husband and I, she calls us mom and dad. She is on the mend. I mean, healing. I don't know if you ever heal from this, but she's trying. 
and we have to move forward. I cannot let this bring me down. And I think you see these TV specials and these documents of these moms that are just like, I can't even function. And, you know, I, I can't, I don't have that luxury. I have other kids to take care of. I have my granddaughter. I have foster parents. I run this daycare. I cannot let her addiction bring me to her level. I refuse. So, you know, as, as a parent of a kid with addiction, I'm to the point where I wait for that call. As sad as that is, the reality is I wait for the call that she's ODing or she's in the hospital or they found her because right now that is the reality I live in. Yeah, absolutely. So she does. I mean, now she just for so the viewers know she has reached out a little bit to my daughter. She won't talk to me. Um, I am again, a realist that will tell her to quit sticking needles in her arms and get home. I don't really sugarcoat anything, but she has reached out to her sister. Uh, conversations are very brief. She doesn't say a lot. So I'm pretty sure she's still using quite a bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so we're still kind of sitting here waiting, but I can't, the waiting can't consume me. So I wait and I wait and see if she comes home. But then again, Danielle, what do I do when she comes home? I'm still. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're stuck. Cause you realistically, we know we can't just, you, she can't move back in. Like nope. we have all these other kids we have to worry about. You have the daycare, you have all this, right? And so that's not an option. So then where does that leave her? She's likely not going to be in a position where she's wanting to do, wanting to do treatment. Right. Um, and those sorts of things. And so, yeah, I mean, even if she comes home, where does that leave you? Really not in any better place. Right. And I think the best advice I can give any parent, um, because, you know, your, your show is about the fact that she was missing and so on and so forth. But that goes hand in hand with the drug addiction. She, you know, my daughter isn't one that just all of a sudden was walking home from the gas station and we don't know where she is or what happened. And we just, you know, we know somebody took her. That's, that's not the case. I mean, my daughter is making the choices she's making. Will she end up in a situation like that? Maybe, but I can assure you she, her actions and her lifestyle put her in that position. She was not an innocent walking down the street that was snatched by a predator. Felicia is a drug addict. She has made the choices she has made, even with help being offered. Cause I think Danielle, you and I can agree. CPS isn't great, but if you have a CPS case, they will roll out the red carpet to help you get treatment. Yeah. We literally just watched it happen with my foster kiddo. Yes. For sure. Like, yes. I mean, they had her into treatment within just a couple days. Like, and yeah, I mean, they really will if you're willing to put in the work. Right. And, and so if you're a mom or dad or brother or sister, or just even a friend out there that's got an addict in your life, the best thing I can tell you, get counseling for yourself. Like you can't dwell on this. This cannot be the bane of your existence. Their addiction needs to be their problem, not your problem. Uh, you can love them. You can love them from afar. You can be there when they're wanting to get sober. But I can tell you as a mom of an addict, letting them back into your house does nothing but cause you stress, anxiety. Uh, when we did let her back in, we worried about what's she going to steal? Where is she going to be? Is she telling me the truth? Hey, mom, can you give me a ride over here? I'm going to go to a job interview. And six hours later, she comes walking in the door and I'm like, wow, really? Like they think we're stupid. They think that what they tell us we believe. And I don't know that anybody would believe that a job interview took six hours. So get yourself some help, get your head on straight and don't let the addict bring you to that place where they're at. For those, you know, out there with missing persons, don't ever give up. 
I, I just don't. Like I said, my case is really different because my daughter put herself in this position and my daughter is making the choices she's making. She's missing by choice at this point. We know she's alive. We know she's in the drug world. She is choosing to stay there. I, I can't do anything about that. And it, it, the funny thing is, Danielle, you know, you know, we had a little family friend that was um, trying to help and, yeah. and her heart was absolutely in the right place, but she wanted that instant gratification right yeah. now, right now. And she was putting herself in harm's way with some of the things she was doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to expand on that a little bit. So it was a family friend of Michelle's and she reached out to our missing persons Facebook page. Um, we had some communication back and forth. She did actually find some really good information. Um, she actually was able to like track down this phone number that I was able to call and talk to this gal who um, was not super helpful actually, but I, in part that she was very mad because you know, this friend had already called her and I think had it been approached a little bit differently, that probably would have been a little bit more resourceful. But with some of the information this friend was able to gather, we were able um, to find where she was staying and those sorts of things and determine that she was in fact alive and okay. Um, at least for the time being, um, there's been rumors and stuff that she may not even be there anymore. So right, right. that was viable information for about five seconds, it seems like. Um, but yeah, I mean, she, she was definitely putting herself in an unsafe situation for sure, because she was, tr I essentially, you know, lying and talking to these people who are kind of in this drug world who, you know, seem to have violent past and those sorts of things. And it's just like, oh, you can't do that. Like that's right. for your own safety. You can't do that. Right. Right. And you know, her heart was in the right place. And I, I yeah. like, let me be clear. This kid is like a kid to me too. I mean, I love her to death and her heart was absolute. You know, she just, she wanted every lead to be followed up on right now. And she wanted everything to be done right now. And I, as a parent of a kid that is both an addict and missing at the time, uh, you have to stop and think about what that does to the other person. Like every time we have to go through this and we start digging, it becomes an open wound for me. And I think, Danielle, there's even been a couple of times with you. I've just been like, you know what, like, don't break your neck about this. Like I... You know, I can't put the energy into it. And I that's why I'm so blessed to have Danielle and Julia, because right now they can. Uh, they haven't lived this for the last six to eight years. I have. So fresh eyes. But just do it safely if you have people helping. And, and just remember that when you're doing this stuff, consider the family and, and what you're doing to them. I mean, I'm a, a rough, tough, tough person, but some people don't want to hear well, we tracked her down at Slimy Joe's house and it's a known sex trafficking. And, you know, so-and-so said that she had a needle. I, your family, these families don't want to hear this. Uh, so there's a kid's gloves at, at some point with some of these cases. So I would just say families of missing persons, don't give up. You know, there's always, always, always hope. If you know there's a drug addiction involved, just use caution and be careful. And for God's sake, just get help. Like, I have a support system in Danielle and Julia and, and other people in my life. Like, you know, I have Stacy and Heather and my husband, Nick, who is my rock and my mom. And I have my, my kids, my adult kids. I have a good support system. Not everybody has that. So seek help, get yourself a support system. Don't ever give up. But in the same respect, please understand that if they're missing by choice, like my daughter is, there's nothing you can do. Oh, the, the one sure thing in the world is the only person you can control is you. 
Yeah. Well, and I think one of the important things too, just to touch on it a little bit is, you know, being mindful. If you are a person that's working with some, like a family member of a missing person, one of the things that I've just consistently done, like as we found out information, I've wanted to take steps. I've gone to Michelle and said, okay, this is like what we know. This is what I would like to do. Like, these are our possible outcomes. So like when we found out where she may be staying over in Spokane, I said, Michelle, like, this is it. Like, I can um, contact law enforcement and see if they'll go over there and do a welfare check. I was like, but the reality is she has this warrant. So the end game here could be she gets picked up and sits in jail. Like, are you okay with that? And of course, Michelle's like, well, yeah. (laughs) But it's like just trying to be mindful because I don't want to do something that's going to like almost like be a trigger, like make something this whole situation more difficult for for you. So I do think that's very, very important. Right. And I, and I think, you know, Danielle, you know, my family enough that, like you said, of course I said yes, but if we're going to talk about my adult children, like I have one, my other daughter is so, I I mean, number one, she's pregnant right now. So I think she cries at (laughs) cereal advertisements, but in general, Jade, bless her heart is so tender hearted that even the sound of Felicia's voice starts her crying. So when you and I talk, we, I don't think we I'm trying to think. I don't think we include Jade a lot in no, the decision making. No, not. Um, yeah, and I kind of talked about that in part one of this too. Is you know that's kind of the person that calls her, but then we're not. Or she that's the person she calls, but then we're not able to get a lot of information because poor Jade's just like is there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's of course like never when I'm around so I can be like put it on speaker like let me ask questions right well I said when I, I mean I don't remember the last time oh. the time before this that she uh called and she Jade called me just into it was really her mom it was her voice and I I just I stood there like um cool what'd she say like you know you get to that point where it's like Jade settle down Awesome. Well, I think that was a lot of really good information. I think that it's really important that we um, don't forget that even though addiction plays into Felicia's case, like she is still a person. She does still have loved ones um, that do want her home and safe. Um, And I think it's really awesome that we were able to get your perspective on things. I think that'll be very beneficial to other families going through similar things as well. Um, do you have any final thoughts, anything you wanted oh, to I just, add? I want people to know that it's okay to say the things that people might like, like, I I just, I'm waiting for that phone call. I, I mean, we live in a society where I think we have to be a certain way and we can't say things and feel like it moms, we, as moms, we can't go, oh my God, my kids are little shits today because somebody's going to go, oh my goodness, there's always some Karen out there. And I think when it comes to missing persons and, and drug addiction, and it is okay it is okay for me to say my daughter is a drug addict. And right now I don't like her lifestyle. I don't like who she is. I don't, I don't like what she's doing. I still love her and I will always love her. And it's okay for me to say, I've come to terms with what she's doing. I've come to terms with the fact that I might get a phone call sometime that she is dead. I might get a phone call. She's in a hospital, um, hanging on for life from a fentanyl overdose. It is okay to express that. And it's okay to have these feelings. They're very real. And if you suppress them and don't say them because you've got a family member that's going to judge you or a friend that's going to judge you, get that toxicity out of your life. Be with people that will let you express the fact that this is how it is. And your feelings are valid and nobody should tell you that they're not no matter how ugly they seem. I'm here to tell you my daughter is a shit. 
playing it. It's just simple. You know, everybody take care of your mental health, take care of yourself, your needs, and then you deal with the addiction. Well, you guys, we hope you guys enjoyed this really fun bonus episode. A really special thank you to Michelle for being willing to come and talk to us and share more about who Felicia is and kind of how we ended up in this situation. Um, you guys definitely um, will reshare Felicia's information and everything. There is a Facebook page that you guys can follow as well on her missing persons case. It's called Help Find Felicia Chiazza. Um, like we did say, we do believe she is at least at this very moment alive um we are not 100 percent sure that she's still where we found her probably i think that was maybe a month, month or so are you talking yeah. about that hotel motel mm -hmm. whatever it was yeah um because um we did later hear a rumor that like sh they were trying to move somewhere or something i don't know who really knows it's it's point? so hard because <laughs> yeah the attic lies and let me be perfectly clear i for all i know because i haven't seen her yeah. For all I know, she may, I mean, I guess she could be in peril and somebody's holding her against her will. And that's, I, we don't know. And that yeah. is why I do not remove a missing persons. I, it, the cops will disagree with you, but don't remove them from that list. You keep them on there because the number one factor is if they come in contact with law enforcement, it will trigger that missing person. And then you will know. So don't take them off. I will be honest. I have not notified authorities that she's been in contact because I want to keep that active missing person. And she does have warrants. And frankly, probably being arrested would be her best bet of survival right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so law enforcement is actually aware that we potentially knew where she was at, um, you know, but they weren't willing to go and do the welfare check because we didn't have um, like an exact room number at this like motel hotel thing. But then they also have like RV sites on. So like she literally could, if she was there, she could have been anywhere. And it's just kind of a wild goose chase. And right. the police department's just like, we can't go on a wild goose chase right. for you, which I mean, fair enough. Um, which was in Spokane, Washington. Local yeah, police do yeah. not know. I have not notified them. So. Um, yeah, so we'll just keep doing what we're doing. We are following up on any and all tips that we get. Um, I'm just fingers crossed at this point that the next time she calls Jade, I'll be here. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I could try to get some more information. Um, but also the other piece to, you know, that missing persons thing is, you know, it, God forbid if something did happen to her, it would help them identify her. Right. Um, and, you know, notify family sooner. So, I mean, that missing person staying open is really, really important. So, because right. even if that is the outcome, that is still closure for, for some families. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Not the outcome. It makes that worry. Right. Finally. Yeah. You can breathe. Yeah. So, all right, you guys. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that episode and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find the source material in the show notes. To show your support, please leave us a review on the platform you're listening on. This is the best way to support us, and this is what pushes our podcast out to new listeners. You can subscribe on Patreon. We are on Patreon as Over the Horizon and Far Away. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Over the Horizon and Far Away. If you would like to submit a case for us to cover, you can email us at overtheHorizonandFarAway at gmail.com, or you can find our case submission form on any of our socials. We will see you guys next week. Bye!